Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Radio Islam International with me, Sister Faiza Munchi, on this Sunday morning. Alhamdulillah, today we have a panel discussion. Now and again, you know, we, we try and pull in a, a, a female panel that we can have discussion with. And the conversation today, or the topic today, is a little bit heavy, I would say. Um, and the reason I say that is because of the importance of family ties, the importance of family, the importance of parental relationships with their children. Um, and today's topic is talking about the importance of generational curses for new parents. So it's quite a, when, when you hear the, 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 the topic itself, uh, it might already, you know, elicit a bit of a negative feeling within you. And if that happens, um, I think we all need to sit up and listen. Um, and I think that's why we all need to look at this. We need to make sure that we understand it. We need to sh- make sure that as new parents, perhaps parents as our children are growing up, but we may, you know, we, we stay away from the same mistakes um, and we understand where we can learn and move forward. My guests on the line, alhamdulillah, I'm going to introduce them to you, inshallah, for the panel. Um, first, I'm going to introduce you to Tasneem Ahmed Basha. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Tasneem. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Not a stranger to Radio Islam International, so we're just going to give you a few seconds just to introduce yourself quickly um, and then I'll introduce my second guest. All right, so I am a holistic health coach, and that basically means that we take into consideration all the dimensions of what makes you who you are. That includes your health, your nutrition, your emotions, your mindset, all of those kinds of things. And yeah, we strategize to get you to your goal. Jazakallah, Tasneem. And my second guest on the line is Sister Adila Kasuji. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Faiza. It's so nice to be back. And um, I'm I'm very excited about this topic. Me too. It's quite quite an interesting one. A quick intro of uh, what you do, Adila, and then we can get into the program. I am a coordinator at a local university. I have a keen interest in natural healing, and also I am um, studying towards uh, a degree in psychology at the the ripe old age of 42. <laughs> Mashallah, well done. Uh, we're not, we're never too old to learn, right? From the cradle to the grave, that, that's what we need totally. to remember. I'm a student, I'm a student for life. Okay. There's no way that I would give it up. I enjoy studying and I enjoy the challenge that it brings and inshallah, I enjoy helping people and this is the main thing. So the best of those, yeah. And that's really the crux of today's conversation. As heavy as the topic sounds, you know, the importance of breaking down curse, generational curses. Um, I think that's the crux of today's program, program, is to be able to understand where we as human beings as parents are, are faltering, um, because we're not perfect, or where can we break that which was just set in, it almost seems like it's set in stone from generations past. So let's get into this, um, this theme. What is the meaning of this word, generational curses? And how do we identify them? Well, um, I'm going to give you the, the short answer. And for me, the, the short answer is generational curses are basically behaviors or beliefs that we, we don't question. We simply apply them and they actually prove more destructive than good. Mm. That is like a very simple version but if you have to break that down, it has a lot of connotations to it. Um, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, I did like look at this. I mean, it's talking about some of the baggage, you know. We've got to then identify the baggage we're carrying from our parents or they're carrying from their parents even. Um, you know, talk us through what your idea of generational curses are um, and what this baggage is, 
you know, doing for, for, for the generations going forward. Okay, so for me, um, a generational curse, I hesitate to use the word curse. I feel mm. like every person in Islam comes into, uh, into our deen. Uh, either you're born or you accept our deen and you revert, you revert back into our deen, but you revert as a pure human being, you know. But with all that blessing, and we do have families, and we do accumulate behaviors over time. So for me, a generational curse is when um, the, there is a cumulative effect of everything your ancestors did, everything your spouse's ancestors did, believed or you practiced in the past, and um, there's a consequence of these actions, these beliefs, and these, behave- these inherent behaviors. And they actually manifest in generations that follow. So whether we like it or not, they can, a family can either be a blessing or a burden. And it, many people are walking around with both, aspects of both, and elements of both in their life. Okay. And that's my idea of a of what I consider generational curse. I feel like it's all the the, the cumulative effect of bad behaviors, decisions, uh, practices uh, that we carry with us through generations. We don't always question it, and I think that in this generation, Alhamdulillah, we are we have access to a lot of education. We have access to a lot of uh, um, facilities where we can actually address these issues, and we have. Um, the capabilities to to see these things in ourselves because we're, we have exposure. Social media is good. Social media is bad. The, the good part is that we are able to recognize all these behaviors within ourselves and in our families. Very important. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you you summed it up also quite nicely in terms of the fact that you you, you you're so right. When we say the word curse, and that's why when I introduced the program, I said it might you know uh, elicit a bit of a heavy feeling for a lot of people for whatever reason. Mm. But we're looking at you know ideas of belief it's not something that came out of uh, out of a supernatural action it is something that has been um you know put into or, or, or come into the family through these behaviors these beliefs these actions these continuous actions um that seem to plague the family and we use the word plague because truly that is a plague in terms of what it does for families so this mean coming to you i mean in terms of these behaviors these actions these uh, belief systems right um, are, are families stuck with them for life, or can they? Is can something be done about it? No, absolutely, we can do something. We can, we should. We it's our responsibility to do something about, it. and that that something for me very much starts off with questioning why we do the things we do, why we hold the beliefs, the perspectives, the values that we hold. Remember, nothing, um, nothing just appears out of nowhere. It came into existence for a reason. What, whether the reason was good or bad is at this at this point, you know, it's it's beyond question now. It's just it is what it is. They just sort of follow through on this thing. For example, you know, uh, common things are like children must always do well academically, and that's it. That's completely it. There's no um, there's no room to make any changes. There's no room to understand a different perspective. There's no room to um, include any other values, that's what it is. And I'm not going against the education system when I say this, absolutely important. Yes, it has value. But, you know, sort of imposing that on our children that you will always take uh, the highest achiever, you will always come out first in the grade, those kinds of things. Why do we have this belief? Where does it come from? It's not necessarily to say that it's absolutely wrong. 
there was a context back then when that, that belief was initiated. But how and does it serve us right now? Those kinds of things need to be questioned. It's interesting you bring that up because then it's in my mind, and I don't make it justice to the listeners as well, is that when you look at something, we're going to use a simplistic example that you've used of, uh, you know, and I think within our communities it's a big thing, your, uh, the education system and how the child needs to fare within the educational system. But it doesn't then bring into account the individuality of each human being. Um, and I think this is where this, this entire system, if it can be looked at, is this whole idea of generational curse or behavioral action can actually be broken down due to the fact that each and every one of us is an individual. Um, and that brings me nicely into my next question, which goes to Adila. Is with, I mean, we look at, and I think this is the one that we, the question that we really need to break down within this conversation today is that within many families, you know, you, you find a common issue is that there'll be the older family members um, who do not speak to each other. They may be, it may be the grandparents, it may be uncles, it may be whatever, you know, within the family realm, there's something that had happened in the past. Um, and what's this? The children have inherited this kind of same stance. They don't know why. They don't know what happened. They don't know why no one's talking to each other. But, um, you know, we said to you that we don't speak to these people, um, and so you will not speak to these people. Let's talk about this, because honestly, children carrying this burden of not speaking to family members because someone, perhaps even 50 years ago, um, you know, 20 years ago, 10, whatever the, the, the time lapse is, this sort of behavior pattern has been fixed into different families. And I know this is not just now, it's for, it's for many families that face this. It may be just one family member, it may be multiple family members they don't speak to. I do not talk to us about this condition within our communities, within our society. What is it doing? And how much do we see it? And what is, it, what is it really doing for us as Muslims within a family culture? So, so for me, I feel like we usually, you know, our community, we, we tend to, uh, to be upset with each other at the slightest, um, you know, uh, sign of uh, where someone offends you or says something offensive or possibly doesn't see you and uh, forgets to greet you or things like that. It's little, little things that become big things and result in risks in families. And um, I mean, we've seen it, we identify it in, in all of our families. There's that one family member or two family members that don't speak to this person and don't speak to that person. And it feels like everyone has slighted them and that type of thing. And it's getting over into the kids. I agree with you. It does flow over into the kids, but um, also at the same time, it creates an unhealthy rift. And for I, for me, I believe that as adults, it doesn't matter how offended we are uh, by our family members or whomsoever we are offended by in our families, right? Um, it doesn't matter how and who. What actually matters is that the. What actually matters is that we allow our children to make their own decisions. So, if they interact with people and they want, they find a positive relationship with a the person, then we should permit. We should not. I wouldn't say permit it. I, I I don't like the use of that word. We should allow them to make their own choices. Mm. The, and that and that that is one of the the things that I think particularly in our community is is lacking where we all have to defer 
uh, to older family members and listen to what they have to say and that goes. And that's not always a healthy way of looking at things. Young people may have more, I mean, it doesn't mean that they're young, that they don't have khair, that they don't have goodness within them and they don't uh, have, uh, uh, they don't emulate the sunnah uh, and they don't do things as they should. Sometimes we need to differ and we need to see that a younger person has uh, a better way of looking at something. Uh, uh, That's a way of saying it, yes. Um, being able to look at the younger generation almost as advisors in certain situations yeah. where the adults are just having a hard time dealing with something. Now, adults generally in our in our within our community, it's a, it's a difficult thing because we are all rooted in the past, and all these these make these behaviors again come down. It, it, they probably grew up with some trauma, and then they endure the trauma, and then that trauma spills over into un, they develop unhealthy relationship habits, and that trauma manifests in their personal interactions with people. So, for instance, you know. Um, Maybe an older brother who was very abusive and um, uh, towards, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just using a, a hypothetical situation here. Maybe an older brother who was very abusive towards um, his sisters and then um, he's, you know, the children sort of uh, she away from him, obviously, but he has been dealing with maybe possibly uh, physical abuse as a child or, or um, maybe the trauma of uh, having grown up with verbal abuse because these things happen. And then um, people will, will, will automatically move away from him. And then you'll see it as generations because now he's got the reputation of the angry old man. Don't go near, you know, Mota Papa or whatever. He is, he is not uh, easy to deal with. And then whereas in fact Mota Papa is, is yearning for love and a relationship with everyone, but no one wants to give it to him because of his behavior in his youth. Toxic no. behavior and toxic traits. I mean, that's another thing that comes up a lot these days in terms of conversation. So yeah. we'll come to that in a moment. I just want to get this news uh, view on this. To me, in terms of, you know, what Adila is mentioning, uh, mentioning about children and uh, the ability of children to be able to almost sometimes be advisors to us, are we finding that in the new generation, I mean, the older generation, you were told that children are seen, not heard. We are as parents changing the narrative to say that we have to have conversations with our children because the world is crazy. We don't want, um, you know, the Western view to get into them. So we have these conversations with our children. Are we going to start finding that our children start saying to us, um, we've seen things in the family that is not, like Adela mentioned, that is not, according to you, it's not Islamic, not supposed to break ties. And when that happens, you know, when these conversations are starting where our children are questioning what's happening with us, um, are we seeing that more? And also, what should be our reaction when our children come to us and really just call us, uh, call us out on our behavior? I love that point that Arila brought up about uh, we find the younger generation and also women mostly, women and children having to defer the situation to older or to, to males. And in certain situations, absolutely, I fully understand. But there is definitely that thing of this goes to somebody else. I have a certain feeling on it, but it goes to somebody who has more authority to tell me what to do. And the, the risk and the, the, the detriment of this is that it teaches especially our children that they have no authority, that they cannot trust themselves. So when we are telling children something like, like Adila gave in her example, you don't speak to Montepapa and that's it. 
that's it, or he's like this and he's like that. The child obviously has a certain feeling or a, a thinking about that situation, but they hear the um, they hear the, the convincing way that we come across. And that mm. makes them, beyond anything else, it makes them immediately question themselves. This child then goes through life with the belief that I cannot trust myself. The decisions that I make are inherently wrong. I don't know enough. And that's very, very bad. That is really robbing our children of any agency that they might have going out into the world, any agency they should have going out into the world and navigating their lives, navigating their relationships. Um, this is not something that we should be afraid of, you know, in terms of when our children, and yes, I do see it. I see it with my own children. They forget me not even go into practice. I see it with my own children. They question, why is this going? Why is this like that? Why is there this kind of tension here or there? You know, and we have to be able to, before our children question us, sit with those questions with ourselves. Sit with those questions with ourselves. I'm so honestly, and I know it's a very, very vulnerable space to be in. But if we cannot hold that vulnerability for ourselves, we will not be able to do that for our children. And our children then see us as people who are not inherently safe. You know, there's a lot of children out there who are saying things like, I can't tell my mother this or this or this because she has extreme anxiety for example, or she'll just, you know, fly off the handle. She'll get extremely angry. So there's a lot of things that children are keeping away from their parents it's in this day and age. Yes, because they are more educated. Like Adela mentioned earlier, we have a lot more resource out there. So they know a lot of things, but they don't feel safe enough approaching their parents. And this I mean, includes that emotional regulation that we do ourselves. And that's a whole other program, but we're definitely going to touch on that on today's program as well, Tislim, is the idea of what we are doing in order to create our own. I mean, we're first talking about the generations past, what they have done, what they have left with us, what we are carrying forward. Um, but then it gives us a responsibility. I think uh, the new generation of parents, if I may put that in inverted commas, are looking towards how am I, how am I, you know, looking, how am I bringing my children up? And like you said, for them to have agency for many reasons, for, to be able to question what's going on in, in the world from many perspectives, they have to have the strength of agency, of confidence in who they are and what they are. I mean, we're living in a world where just about anything goes. So if they don't have that agency within a home situation, they're not going to be able to carry it over outside. So let's talk about this and just bring it back to the, that question and then we'll move on to, you know, there's so much to talk about. I don't think we'll have enough time in today's program, but we'll cover at least bits of a lot of what we wanted to cover in today's program. But touching on this idea of families not talking to each other, right, and being able to break that. Let's see, that's, that's stage one, step one of a generational, and we're going to use the word curse in inverted commas again, generational curse, behavior, belief, you know, action that we have towards other family members. It's set, almost set there. We don't speak to these people. If, if we, we, we listen to today's program and say, okay, I have had these issues with my family members. I don't even remem remember why. But I am now deciding that my children should not be blocked off from these family members. Um, so, Sima, start with you. And if Adila wants to come in, she can in terms of this question. But how would this child even, you know, move towards breaking the ice with that family member, uh, moving forward and trying to form a relationship with those family members that have been cut off all, all the years? I think the first thing to start off with is your need, your intention. You know, making that intention and doing this for the pleasure of Allah and maintaining family ties. And, you know, it just makes everything so much easier. There's a barakah that comes from that near. And then it might come to you 
that perhaps you feel like you want to send them a message, a text message. Perhaps you want to make a phone call to them. Perhaps you want to invite them over for a meal. Being able to do those things, feeling safe enough to do, do those things, you should do them. And I understand, again, it can be very frightening because these are literally things that have never been done before. You know, my parents have some issue with so-and-so, for example, and, you know, they would be really upset because, you know, I've spoken to them or they don't want me to speak to them, whatever the, you know, the context is around it. Making that intention, making that dua, going forward with the action, you know, it's, it's, it's such a blessed act to be able to do that. Also, being clear with your own self, what it is that you expect. So when I contact this person that we've not been in touch with for so many years, generations, whatever it is, when I contact this person, what am I expecting? What would be the best possible outcome, you know, for me? What would be the worst possible outcome? How will I handle both of those situations? So be real with yourself. Try to that act. Okay? And in any case... Whether it turns out positive or negative, make sure you have somebody there who is who can provide that support. Mm. If you need direction, if you need guidance, don't be afraid to reach out. There's still so much stigma surrounding, you know, mental health. Don't be afraid to reach out to people who are, you know, educated in this regard who can help you along do so if need be. Now, to seem just quickly and then I'll get to Adila, is it what if um, and I say this because we're talking about this and it's important. What if um, the younger generation, I'm talking about, I mean, the younger generation could be those who are married and have their own children, right? And, and they're now trying to, to fix these bonds within the families. But what if um, their parents say to them, okay, no, you want to speak to so-and-so family members, but then this is going to impact our relationship. I mean, that's quite common, right? Yes, yes. Um, I actually come across this fairly often as well. And I can tell you, a lot of my clients, what they do is they contact the ulama and, you know, they have them guide them through this process. This is what I want to do. It's, and I think it's a, um, a major discussion along um, what do I expect in, in terms of this move? What, what am I going to put myself, how much am I going to put myself out there? Uh, what are the expectations that my parents have of me? And where can we come to a compromise? So there's going to be things on both sides where it's, it's not ideal for us. And it, it just, you know, what Arila said earlier strikes me again. There's a lot, and I think it comes down to a lot of insecurity because it, it is very possible that I can have an issue, for example, with some relative, and yet my child can have a good, healthy relationship with that same person. We have to be secure within ourselves to know I have done my absolute best with my child. I trust them. I know that they have agency, they have their confidence, they have their intellect, they are emotionally regulated, and I've taught them that enough to know that they can manage that relationship. Yeah. Or if um, it comes down to something toxic, yes. come back to me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Adila, talking about toxic traits, I mean, I want to bring that in because I think that's important, and trauma in particular, um, because... I mean, you mentioned earlier, and I want you to, you know, touch on this aspect of trauma, because many parents don't heal from their own trauma. We know this. Um, as adults, even, we know that we may have had traumas in the past we have not healed from. Um, and it, mess, it really comes out in manifesting relationships within, um, in different ways, right? Um, we hear a lot now about the word toxic parenting, toxic parents. Um, what is the approach that we need to take with regard to, you know, this difficulty or this um, we may find, or some people find that their own parents are toxic or, you know, have caused trauma for them. What is the best way of dealing with these situations of, tra of trauma, 
uh, from your own parents and from their own, you know, sort of behaviors that you see all the time. Okay, Faisal, this is a contentious topic in our community. <laughs> uh, we know that, it's, you know, people will never admit to their toxicity, and yet each one of us walks around with our own, uh, our own set of toxic traits that we have. Uh, we will never admit to them, but we actually do have them. And this is, this is um, <laughs> it's human nature that we never accept our faults. So uh, for me, that uh, dealing with trauma, you know, your body has um, four flight responses, four responses uh, to trauma. And uh, the four responses that it, it, it usually, um, uh, in, in a psychological situation, and I'm not, um, no, by no means an expert, people need to consult with experts if they want further information. Um, the, I mean, you respond to challenges in one of four ways, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, right? So, uh, the flight response means you run from danger, and this manifests in our lives when we, want, when we are faced, when we've been through trauma and we want to, um, when we are faced with trauma again, we run away from it. We literally shut down, we ignore it, we don't deal with it. That's, that's one of the, the ways that we deal with the trauma. Then fighting means you're reacting aggressively, obviously, and defensively. Freezing means you just, you just, you, you sort of, your brain shuts down, your body shuts down, you can't move. It's, it's a very, um, it's a response to very severe trauma as well. And then um, the fawning is the, the, the other element, which is a very interesting one. Um, it's when you please your attacker in a bid to avoid danger. Uh-huh. So um, this response here is, I find, very much entrenched in society, um, especially with regards to children with angry parents. So if you, if you, if you experienced parenting with a, a very angry parent or a parent who, who uh, um, went into a rage easily, you would immediately fall into a fawning response. You know, is everything okay? Can I make you a cup of tea to try and appease um, the parent? And this is what, uh, when we translate it to our relationships with other people and people that our parents don't want us to have relationships with family members, uh, then a child that is, um, well, uh, yeah, I say child, but I'm, I'm, I actually am referring to those young adults that you spoke about, spoke about. Um, that person would immediately try and appease their mother or father and, and, you know, no, I won't bother. I understand where you're coming from, even though they actually want a relationship with the family member. And um, it's, it's, it's actually, uh, again, a symptom of an unhealthy relationship when you want to cut your child off because they have made contact with a family member that you don't approve of. If we expect our children to go out into the world as mature, dini adults who uh, know how to run their lives and have happy, healthy relationships uh, in their marriages with their children, with other people, then we must allow them, again, agency. And agency comes from the home. It comes from self-love. It comes from uh, showing your children affection, knowing your boundaries with regards to your children, um, giving them the right to criticize you as a parent. So, um, I, you know, if you're going to 
if your parent is going to cut you off because you have decided to engage with, for instance, her sister or your father's brother or, you know, um, if they cut you off because of that, it means that you don't have agency as a human being. And if you don't have agency, it means you did not have a secure relationship with that parent in the first place. Uh, uh, I, <laughs> so I think this conversation is just so much that, you know, as we speak, I realize it's, it's, not a, it's not a linear conversation that we can have, not in any way whatsoever. Um, and it could take no. us two hours really to break it down in terms of that. But I mean, the word you use, affection, comes through very uh, strongly for me because I, I do look at uh, for some families, and I'm going to say this, it's a generalization that, you know, people in the past didn't hug and love and, and, and show affection. I do think it comes from different families that have got different relationships in terms of how they show love and affection. So then coming to you, where does affection come in in these relationships and in breaking all these barriers and negative behaviors and, you know, and, and why is affection so important? I and mean, the reason to spoke about it. Uh, as well in terms of affection of parents. But bring it in here, because I think it's an important point that Adila mentioned, is that this idea of affection, um, where does it stand in breaking all these generational uh, flaws and behaviors and actions that we see? It's so important. It's, uh, and I, it's, Affection is really, you know, we can't expect ourselves to just automatically show our children affection if we were not shown affection. And I say automatically because a lot of parents beat themselves up and, you know, it's just the belief is I'm just not an, effect, uh, an affectionate parent and I'm so bad. And that's sort of where that conversation internally stops. It really starts with ourselves. Parenting our children in a healthy way 100% of the time means we parenting our own selves. Okay? And that is not an indictment on our parents. Every parent does the best that they know how in that moment. But it is so formative in, again, our agency, in um, how we see the world, in how we break these uh, societal, cultural expectations, pressures, curses, whatever you want to call them, and in having healthy relationships. So if we did not receive that as children, and affection might come about for each person in a different way, perhaps they will, perhaps one person needs words of affection perhaps another person is more physical that's not to say you only have that particular um say love language in inverted commas for yourself but it means one is you know more important to you though you might need the others okay it's, it's figuring out what you need for yourself giving that to yourself and giving that to yourself includes includes feeling safe enough feeling brave enough being brave enough to request that from your spouse, from those in your family, saying, I need this. I like to hear this. I like to feel the certain way. This is how I receive appreciation for whatever it is that I do. Receiving that in that way, because once we are comfortable with it and we make it safe for our nervous systems to receive that, we can then effectively offer it to our children and not hold it, hold it over them as, you see, I was such a good mother. I didn't scream at you when you... I don't know, that's the kitchen or whatever it is. You know, I'm yeah, kind to you, nice. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, now, talking about that, I mean, you mentioned that so nicely. And I mean, like I said, I've, we've got so many questions. And I just want to, like, touch on it. We can probably have a, a longer discussion at some point um, in the future. But, you know, you mentioned screaming at them for something. I do want you to come in here and to see my, I want you to also comment on this. Because I really believe, um, as mothers, <laughs> we have we have a real, you know, I'm going to put problem in inverted commas. I have this issue. Uh, of flying off the handle for, for little things. 
And I want to understand Father, you're not the only one. Yeah. You're not the only one. We tend to overreact. Yeah. I, I, my sister actually drew my attention to it the other day. Um, we, we, I, I, I tend to overreact sometimes in a situation without, without gauging first whether the child needs that. I immediately consider my feelings about it. Whether the child needs me, how does the child need me to respond? And I'm not, we're not responding appropriately as masses, you're right, all the time. You know, I, mean, I don't think really ourselves up about it, yeah. but because we do the best that we can under the circumstance. But it's also yeah, important to be... Adila, in some circumstances, um, you know, there's room for improvement. And I say this for myself. Always, always. We are not infallible. We are not infallible. Infallible, and Alhamdulillah, we are at a point where we can recognize that we are not infallible. We have faults, and we are. As long as you are willing to remedy your faults, that there is, there's only the only path is the way forward. Alhamdulillah. That's that's what I feel, and I feel that. it, it, if we translate this into our relationship with our children, mm-hmm. we fly off the handle, but we are willing to be criticized for it. I feel if you are willing to accept criticism when it's due and to remedy that behavior, then you are giving the child and yourself the space to, again, break a generational curse, to break the, the anger response, to, to show that there's more empathy than anger. In, in your in your responses and um, that's that is for me an important aspect of also um, addressing that that effect where you know in our day when we were little children were seen and not heard and um, in some houses children were not seen and children were not heard either <laughs> so um, having grown up that way and you know with very authori- uh, uh, many of us with very authoritarian parents we 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 try to move away from it and we try to talk to our children and discuss things with them and uh, give them a space a, a safe space to feel happy and where they can where they can critique where they can bring their problems so uh, so-called problems to the table um again a nice time to to chat about things is uh, you know maybe after um after supper on the family table where we discuss issues that bothered us during the day or things that we, we, we were happy about, joyful things, um, things that, that took our interest for the day as a family. Okay. And, you know, creating, again, a safe space for your children, thereby allowing them agency, allowing them the space to love themselves, allowing you the space um, to develop as a human being and as a parent, I think very important is engagement. Yes, absolutely. I want to bring this in here. I want to understand, um, you know, we mentioned that we fly off the handle as mothers. Where is this coming from? And how dangerous is it in the long term? I mean, if it's been happening every day, every second day, every third day, what is the emotion this is eliciting in our children? So first of all, there's a few questions that I know. Um, Where is this coming from? What emotion is this eliciting in our children? And what does it say for the future for them in terms of their psychological well-being, in terms of what they're going to take with them going forward? I like the word that Adila used, overreaction. I always say this to my clients. 
an overreaction is something that we guilt ourselves or we beat ourselves up for, but an overreaction is a reaction to what's happening in the moment, something that happened previously, and something that we fear might happen in the future. So we are reacting on a number of levels. And added to that, trauma doesn't come out as a feeling. Trauma comes out as a reaction. So you're not sitting in a corner thinking about the trauma that happened to you, rocking and crying. No, it comes out in our day-to-day reactions, not responses, our day-to-day reactions to things. So something like, and I'm going to give a general example, and it's a common one also, something like our children needing something from us. And when our children, and it can be anything, the smallest possible thing, and we, like, like we said, fly off the handle about that thing, right? It can come from the fear of, I've never had my own, as the parent, the parent that was a child, obviously, I've never had my needs met, yet I'm always expected to meet everybody else's need. That can all be underneath that reaction that we have in the moment, okay? It's for us to sit down and unpack that, especially when it's happening very often. In terms of the impact that it's having on our children, it desensitizes children. Now, once, once Listeners to think about this in terms of if you are in um, a work environment and you have a boss. So the boss is the authority figure as the parent is. And the boss continuously is angry and aggressive and not able to manage his emotions. What happens as the, you know, the person reporting to this boss? You eventually stop going to them with any type of problem, any type of challenge. And then eventually with any kind of success or win either because... To you, this person is identified as somebody who cannot, again, regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. So your child becomes desensitized to the response. It has no effect on them whatsoever. And they then have no safe authority figure to go to. Going forward then, they they will have to do the work of reparenting themselves and being a safe and healthy parent for themselves. And I'm sure all of us can agree it's a very, very difficult piece of work. Very, very necessary, but also very difficult. So I'm not saying we're all going to do everything perfectly. We are going to make mess-ups, definitely. With the best intentions, we are going to make mess-ups. But we have to be there for our children by being there for ourselves. There's something else I want to mention. When it comes to providing a safe space for our children to criticize us, maybe people have this impression that that's going to happen where a child is going to come up to you and say, Mommy, I really didn't like how you responded to whatever kind of situation we had earlier. This is what it made me feel. Ideally, yes, that would be it. Uh-huh. It's going to take time. And in that transition phase, that space is of criticizing, I'm giving a safe space to criticize me as your mother, it's going to come out as a flippant comment, as something rude, as something, you know, that we would call that disrespectful. Yeah. So we have to be prepared for that as well. You can be in that, oh, I'm a gentle parent. I'm doing this passively. I'm doing this with kindness. The child has unfortunately not had read the same book, so to say. So they are going to come at you with that kind of um, criticism, and we have to be strong enough to sit with it. I'm not saying accept it. I'm not saying this is the new tone of our relationship. But say afterwards, you know, in that moment when you made that comment, I found it rude, but there was something underneath there that you were trying to express to me. I didn't fully understand it because of your, you know, heightened emotional state. What mm-hmm. one yeah, it's uh, two minutes left to when we have to end. Can you believe it? Uh, so I'm going to have to have uh, both you and Adila round up in a minute, inshallah. Um, but definitely a topic I'm going to take forward and try and discuss again because I do think it's important. 
for our listeners, for each and every one of us. I think it, it must have struck a nerve for each parent or each mother, particularly mothers who spend a lot of time with their children and have these issues and have these, you know, thoughts at the back of their mind of how do we do this in a way that we are providing the best kind of parenting that we possibly can. Uh, I think I'm going to give you 30 seconds to round up and then just mean and um, Alhamdulillah, it's been a wonderful conversation so far though. Uh, I don't know for you, what would you round up and give advice to our listeners for on today's program? I would round up and say, let's, if as a new parent, because uh, this was, you know, specifically to discuss this for in terms of new parents, uh, I would say, you know, but use your tools. Go, go ahead. Use the tools that you find in social media, you find on the internet. There are some useful tools. Make, create a thing called a genogram where you, where you, can list all the faults of everyone in your family that you don't like, the habits and behaviors that you don't like, and that you don't want for yourself and for your children and for your family. And discuss them with your spouse and discuss ways in which to, to mitigate them. Consult with a counseling psychologist or a therapist and get, you know, if, you, if, it's, if it's that uh, severe that you want to mitigate it in that manner, find ways to to. Uh, uh, avoid these behaviors and emulating these behaviors and carrying these generational curses through your family um, by doing this. Use the tools and inshallah, everything with the, with the best intentions, everything is possible. Absolutely. That, that's what my advice would be, uh, Faiza. So uh, valuable advice. And uh, this is just um, I'll close with a story. A little girl asked her mother, why do you cut the fish off? the head of the fish off when you fry it and her mother said because your grandmother did it and she asked her grandmother why do you cut the fish off the head when you fry it and she said because your great-grandmother did it and she went to her great-grandmother and said why do you cut the head off the fish before you fry it and she said because I had a small pan and uh-huh. you might have a big enough pan you actually might have a big enough pan today <laughs> beautiful story absolutely yes I mean, you just may have uh, a lot more space in your heart, in your mind, in your, you know, in your in your family to be able to include this person back in, or uh, you know, have better relationships with so many people that you've broken them off with, including and I think yourself. That's including including yourself. yourself. And I think I think my, my my finish would be: let's all just start healing from whatever it is, whatever the trauma, whatever it is that's bringing up all those negative emotions. And move forward, inshallah, in a lot more positive way. I'd like to thank you both for this panel discussion. It's been amazing. So jazakallah to you both, and especially for making time on a Sunday at 11 o'clock. I know it's not easy. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you both. To our listeners, I'm hoping this has been very beneficial to each and every one of you. Until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.